Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Cowden coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to wish you a happy new year and welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, the Southern Baptist Convention settles over a sexual abuse lawsuit against its influential leader, Paul Pressler. We'll have some details. Also, right before Christmas, the International House of Prayer in Kansas City officially cut ties with its founder, Mike Bickle. And we have details from Taylor University's $30 million grant from the Lilly Endowment to revitalize its local community. Finally, we unveil our list of the highest-paid Christian ministry executives in the nation. We begin today with news that identity theft charges against Memphis pastor Stephen Flockhart have been dropped. On December 27, identity theft charges against the Tennessee pastor were dropped, according to reporting from Fox 13 in Memphis, Tennessee. Court records show the prosecutor or plaintiff had decided to abandon the prosecution or lawsuit. That's words from the document that they released against the 901 church pastor, 901 being the area code of Memphis. On November 2nd, Flockhart was arrested on one count of identity theft and one count of theft of merchandise between $2,500 and $10,000. The alleged victim is Mark McCall, and he told Fox 13 that the incident was the absolute worst betrayal of my life, hands down. McCall, who says he was a longtime friend of Flockhart, claimed that Flockhart requested his personal information in order to open a joint credit card so that the church could use it. Recently, though, McCall learned that his credit score had dropped significantly. He then discovered an open credit card through PayPal that had a nearly $6,500 unpaid bill. McCall claimed to have confronted Flockhart about the account and said Flockhart admitted to using McCall's name to open it without his permission. Flockhart is on probation in Georgia for another case related to using another person's name without their permission. County records from Cherokee County, Georgia, which is a northern suburb of Atlanta, shows that Flockhart used the names of church members to sign off on a lease for commercial property without their consent. Now, some of you might know who Flockhart is. In 2012, he was a contestant on both American Idol and NBC's The Voice. However, the church website says that God made it clear that he was supposed to walk away from what could have been a very promising musical career and that he was supposed to pastor and lead people to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. He became pastor at 901 Church back in 2018. Our next story involves one of the biggest names of the past half century in the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention uh, reached a confidential settlement with Gerald Dwayne Rollins in a lawsuit that he had filed against the denomination in 2017. In the lawsuit, uh, which was supposedly uh, for a million dollars filed in Harris County, Texas, Rollins claimed that he was sexually abused by Paul Pressler. He's that prominent name in the SBC. He said that the abuse went on for decades, and it began when he was just 14 years of age. The denomination was sued for its part in concealing or enabling the alleged abuse. Pressler, who's 92 years old, is a layman in the denomination. He was influential in the 1970s and 1980s conservative takeover of the SBC. 
He also served on the SBC's executive committee, and he was also a former appellate judge in Texas. Pressler has since denied these allegations. Rollins previously sued Pressler for assault based on a 2003 altercation in a Dallas hotel room. That case was settled with Pressler agreeing to pay $1,500 a month to Rollins for the next 25 years. The Southern Baptist Convention and its executive committee confirmed in a statement to the Texas Tribune, who broke this news, that they had entered into a confidential settlement agreement despite being fully prepared to proceed to trial. The trial had been postponed twice already, but was most recently scheduled to begin in February. We also have news in another lawsuit, this one involving radio host Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey got news just before Christmas um, that a federal judge in Tennessee had dismissed a lawsuit that had alleged that the Christian personal finance guru had discriminated against an employee's religion during the COVID-19 pandemic. The employee had also charged that the company had a cult-like work environment. That employee was Brad Amos. Brad Amos claimed in his suit that leaders of the Lampo Group, the parent company of Ramsey's media empire, had misled him before he moved from California to Franklin, Tennessee, to work for the company as a video editor. That federal lawsuit was originally filed in 2021. Amos's attorney argued that Amos had been promised a drama-free family work environment, The bosses also told Amos that rumors the company was cult-like were untrue. But once he was hired, Amos clashed with leaders of the company, also known as Ramsey Solutions, largely over its handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. Dave Ramsey was critical of pandemic-related shutdowns and required his employees to come to the company's offices to work at a time when many employers were allowing employees to work from home. Amos's suit was just one of several in recent years challenging the way that Dave Ramsey runs his company. One lawsuit filed by a former employee who alleged that she was fired for identifying as gay was settled in 2022. But a discrimination suit filed by Caitlin O'Connor, who was fired after telling her boss that she was pregnant before she was married, that case is still active. Ramsey Solutions has defended its decision to fire O'Connor by saying that it fires employees who have sex outside of marriage. Let's look at one more story before the break. It's a story of a Montana pastor we reported on last year. He has been accused of sexual abusing minors on a Cheyenne Indian reservation. Yeah, last month, a federal jury convicted a Montana pastor of sexually abusing three children while they were staying at his home on the Northern Cheyenne Indian Reservation. A jury found Dean Allen Smith, who's 67 years of age, guilty of aggravated sexual abuse, abuse of sexual conduct by force, and two counts of abuse of sexual conduct by force and of a child after a six-day trial that began on December 4th. Smith now faces a maximum of life in prison, a $250,000 fine, and up to five years to life of supervised release, if he does ever get out of jail, I should say. The jury acquitted Smith of one count of abusive sexual conduct with a child. 
Ministry Watch reported last year that for over 20 years, Smith was the pastor of Morning Star Baptist Church, a Southern Baptist church in Lame Deer, Montana. The church, which is no longer active, sits adjacent to the Northern Cheyenne Indian Reservation, where Smith allegedly made four children in separate incidents engage in sexual conduct by force, according to the indictment, uh, which was filed on December 9th of 2022. U.S. Attorney Jesse Laslovich accused Smith of leading a double life, one as a pastor and the other as an abuser of children. And he said this, I'm thrilled the jury held Smith accountable for sexually abusing these victims, and I hope holding him accountable will help the victims start the long road of healing from this trauma that they've suffered. The court set sentencing for April 12th of this year. Authorities remanded Smith into custody pending those proceedings. Let's take a short break. When we return, one church in Michigan has chosen not to support traditional U.S. missionaries, but instead is focusing their efforts on funding indigenous church leaders around the world. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hey everybody, Warren Smith here interrupting the podcast with a couple of quick updates regarding Ministry Watch. First of all, we met our year-end goal. If you gave during November and December of 2023, uh, just can't tell you how grateful I am. And also wanted to let you know that our needs go on. So if you did not give, we would love to hear from you in January or February uh, with a gift. If you've got any leftover after all those Christmas expenditures, uh, we would um, be grateful. Just go to uh, ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. Also wanted to let you know that we're going to have some, I would call them relatively minor changes, but I think significant changes to the way we do things here at Ministry Watch over the next month or two. Number one, we're making some tweaks to our website that we think will make it a little more user-friendly and uh, readable uh, that uh, I hope you will enjoy. And we're also going to be making some changes to our database as well so that uh, you can get to that database a little more easily and find things that you are looking for more quickly. So stay tuned during the month of January and February for some minor but important improvements to the way we do things here uh, at Ministry Watch. Again, thank you so much for your support. God bless, and let's get back to the podcast. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, up next is the story we promised before the break. It's the latest in a series about what we're calling a new paradigm in missionary efforts. That's right. It's a strategy that focuses less on sending U.S. missionaries overseas and more on training and supporting Native church planters and disciple-making ministries who are already there. And that's what New Hope Community Church in Traverse City, Michigan is doing. Many American churches have a display in their lobby or elsewhere of West Western missionaries, maybe even members of their own church that they support in the 
proclamation of the gospel in countries around the world. But New Hope Community Church, which, as you said, is in uh, Michigan, takes a different approach. Since its founding in 1990, the church has taken a posture of generosity for missions work, but it embraces a new paradigm, and it he describes that new paradigm in this way, of supporting indigenous church planners doing the work of gospel advancement in their homelands. Craig Trier-Wheeler is the pastor of the church. He told Ministry Watch that indigenous leaders are far better equipped and more capable of reaching the global community than people from the West. He went on to say this, Western missionaries are constantly met with barriers that block their mission. Even though they go with good intent, they're often prevented from doing their work because of language or cultural issues and are extremely expensive to support in comparison to their indigenous counterparts. The church is looking for the lowest rate of burnout and the highest return on investment for money it commits to gospel advancement through missions. Now, the church provides no monthly support of Western missionaries at all anymore, but don't think that that means that they've given up on missionary work altogether or are spending less. In fact, last year, the church gave $1.3 million to missions, but only about $192,000 went to the monthly support of indigenous missionaries. Most of that went to project-based needs of partners who were doing specific work that required additional resources. Now, Warren, we spent a good bit of last year covering what was happening at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. And it looks like we also begin this year with IHOP in the news. I think that's right. Leaders of the International House of Prayer and Influential Charismatic Evangelical Prayer and Missions Group that is based in Kansas City announced on Friday, December 22nd, right before Christmas, that they had cut ties with founder Mike Bickle. In late October, a group of IHOP KC leaders accused Bickle of a pattern of alleged clergy sexual misconduct. And early in December, Bickle admitted that some past misconduct had occurred, but he also said that many of the allegations against him were false. But IHOP spokesman and crisis management consultant Eric Voltz posted a video on YouTube that suggested otherwise. Voltz said that IHOP KC leaders did not have permission to share details about Bickle's alleged misconduct, only saying that an investigation into the allegations against him is currently in process. But he did add this, since taking over management of the crisis, the executive committee has received new information to now confirm a level of inappropriate behavior on the part of Mike Bickle that requires IHOP KC to immediately and formally separate from him. Voltz also announced that Stuart Greaves, executive director of IHOP KC, had resigned without giving any reason for why he had done so. Bickle had long been an influential character in charismatic Christian circles, an early leader in the Vineyard Movement. He split with that group in the 1990s over theology and clashes with its founder, John Wimber, among other leaders. Bickle is perhaps best known for founding IHOP, which began holding round-the-clock 
24-7 prayer meetings in 1999 and then later became a missionary movement. Bickle has also been a leader in the New Apostolic Reformation, which stresses the idea that the church should be led by modern-day prophets and apostles. Our next story comes from your home state, Warren, and involves a significant financial fraud. The grandson of a pastor here in North Carolina has been accused of embezzling nearly half a million dollars from the church his grandfather leads. Jordan Shortridge was arrested uh, late in December for larceny and embezzlement of funds from the Dallas Church of God, which his grandfather, D.R. Shortridge, had led for 50 years. The embezzlement appears to have begun as far back as 2018. More than $470,000 was used for non-church-related purchases, with some purchases being made via PayPal, according to police reports. It's sad for the community, according to Robert Walls, who is the police chief in Dallas, North Carolina. It's sad for the church body, and I hate it for the Shortridge family as well. But at the end of the day, none of us are above the law. The church's accounting department discovered the discrepancies in 2021. Its bank then conducted an audit and discovered unknown withdrawals and payments being made via PayPal. Let's look at one more story before we take a break. It's the story of a former Tennessee pastor charged with sexual exploitation of a minor. Now, this former pastor is from a church in Cleveland, Tennessee, and he's been indicted by the Bradley County Grand Jury after local detectives found more than 100 images of child pornography on his laptop. The grand jury charged him with sexual exploitation of a minor. Rick Sentel was the pastor of Cornerstone Church of God in Cleveland. He was arrested and released on a $75,000 bond on December 28th. Now, Cleveland police were alerted of Sintel's alleged crimes by a cyber tip from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Police obtained a search warrant for Sintel's home and personal laptop, where they found a large amount of images depicting the sexual abuse of children. Now, I should add, Natasha, that this story has kind of rocked the Church of God denomination. One of the the Church of God's major uh, colleges is in Cleveland, Tennessee, and the graduates of that school are scattered all over the country. So a lot of people feel an affinity to Cleveland and this particular church. So this uh, arrest has sent reverberations all around the country. Sintel, though, is scheduled to appear in court on January the 8th. Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of Ministry News of the Week. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hey everybody, Warren Smith here interrupting the podcast with a couple of quick updates regarding Ministry Watch. First of all, we met our year-end goal. If you gave during November and December of 2023, I just can't tell you how grateful I am. And also wanted to let you know that our needs go on. So if you did not give, we would love to hear from you in January or February uh, with a gift. If you've got any leftover after all those Christmas expenditures, uh, we would uh, be grateful. Just go to uh, ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. Also wanted to let you know that we're going to have some I would call them relatively minor changes, but I think significant changes to the way we do things 
here at Ministry Watch over the next month or two. Number one, we're making some tweaks to our website that we think will make it a little more user-friendly and uh, readable uh, that uh, I hope you will enjoy. And we're also going to be making some changes to our database as well so that uh, you can get to that database a little more easily and find things that you are looking for more quickly. So stay tuned during the month of January and February for some minor but important improvements to the way we do things here uh, at Ministry Watch. Again, thank you so much for your support. God bless, and let's get back to the podcast. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. We like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Taylor University is a leading evangelical institution. It's about an hour northeast of Indianapolis, and it received a $30 million grant recently to bolster local infrastructure. The university announced that grant on Tuesday, January 2nd, just a few days ago. This grant, which is the largest in the university's history, is funded by the Lilly Endowment as part of its College and Community Collaboration Initiative. Funded in part by the grant, Taylor University's Main Street Mile Initiative will create dining, retail, and startup space in downtown Upland and will expand the town library. On the campus side of town, the initiative will also build a a residential development for those 55 and older, a college inn, and additional long-term visitor housing. The main street connecting the campus and downtown will be repaved and will feature expanded sidewalks and enhanced lighting, sort of connecting the two towns a little bit more uh, elegantly, you might say. Uh, We believe that Taylor and Upland have the potential to become a national model for how a small university can be engaged with its community and how they can work together for significant economic and community development. Those are the words of Michael Lindsay. Michael Lindsay is the relatively new president of Taylor. Uh, He recalled Jeremiah 29, which Lindsay said is a verse that reminds us that we're to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which you have been carried, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And there's news in the Christian publishing world. Salem Media Group is selling Regnery Publishing to Skyhorse Publishing. The companies did not announce the terms of the sale. Regnery is a conservative publisher that was founded in 1947 amid the Cold War, though, that now publishes books on both the culture war and wokeness, in addition to religious and conservative books. Salem acquired Regnery in 2014 and added a Salem books line to the publisher's imprint. Under Salem's ownership, Regnery has published a lot of books by conservative Christian culture warriors, including Eric Metaxas, Owen Strayan, Vody Bauckham, and Dinesh D'Souza, as well as pastor and evangelist Greg Laurie. It currently publishes more than 1,500 titles and had sales of $10 million in 2023, at least according to the New York Times. And this week, Ministry Watch unveiled its annual list of the highest paid ministry executives. 
We did, and it's a list that always lands in our list of top 10 stories of the year, so I know a lot of folks are interested in it. I'm going to have more to say about this list in my editor's notebook column, which we'll be publishing uh, later today on Friday afternoon, but here are a few headlines. First, I should mention that David Cirillo of the Inspiration Networks once again has landed in the top spot on our list with income topping $4.5 million. It's also worth noting that Dale Artizone, also of the Inspiration Networks, is number two on the list. His income was two and a half million dollars. So it pays to work at the Inspiration Network. Did anything else stand out to you on this list? Yeah, it did. Uh, Inspiration Networks, uh, of course, as we just said, um, t- kind of topped the list of having the most executives on our list this year, but also a YMCA of the USA, uh, EMF, which is short for the Educational Media Foundation. Now, a lot of people might better know them as the K-Love Radio Network and the American Center for Law and Justice. Those four ministries have a combined total of uh, more than 25 or a quarter of all the executives on our top 100 list. Also, Ministry Watch has identified a growing trend among Christian ministries to identify as churches and thereby withhold their Form 990s. That's how we get the compensation information. So if they're withholding their Form 990s, we really don't know how much the executives there make. They could end up being on this list, but we can't say for sure. Among the Ministry Watch 1000 ministries uh, that have chosen to withhold their Form 990s are Crew, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, the Navigators, Gideons International, the Willow Creek Association, which is now called the Global Leadership Network, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, Joyce Meyer Ministries, Denison Forum, and Ethnos 360 New Tribes Mission. Now, Ministry Watch has gone on record repeatedly, and we do so again here, with our view that withholding Form 990s is both an unwise and an unbiblical practice. You can read more about uh, why we think so uh, by going to the show notes for today's program, and I've got a link to our position statement there. And the compensation list is not the only list we published in the past week. Well, the year end brings with it a lot of looking back on the year gone by, and we do a bit of that here at Ministry Watch too. So in the past week, we've published our top 25 stories of 2023. And as I've already mentioned, last year's compensation list ended up on that list of top 25. We also in December published um, the deaths of notable Christian and ministry leaders for the year. Uh, That's a column that I put together myself from the reporting that we've done throughout the year. And it's, uh, you know, obviously, you know, death is not a good thing, but looking back on uh, the godly men and women that are on that list actually can be sort of encouraging. And I recommend that our listeners check it out. And of course, we monthly do our top 10 stories of the month, and we published just yesterday our top 10 stories of December. Again, find all of these lists by going to the Ministry Watch website. And who did we highlight in our ministry spotlight this week? Yeah, Rod Pitzer didn't take a break, and we're grateful for that. He went ahead and published uh, our weekly ministry spotlight, and this week it happens to be Redeemer City to City. Uh, Redeemer City to City began in 2008 as the church planting ministry founded by Tim Keller and Redeemer Presbyterian Church. It focuses on the largest and most recognizable cities around the world, including New York, Johannesburg, Mumbai, London, Sao Paulo, 
But the list has grown from there. In fact, now there are hundreds of cities uh, on the city-to-city list. They founded 1,600-plus churches and trained over 100,000 leaders. After Tim Keller transitioned out of his position as the senior pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, he continued to lead Redeemer City-to-City until May of last year when he passed away at the age of 72. Redeemer City to City had 2022 revenues of $27 million and a donor confidence score of 81, which means that you can give with confidence. Now, do you have any final thoughts before we go today? Well, as I said before, uh, this has been a crucial time of year for Christian ministries, including Ministry Watch, when it comes to fundraising. Uh, We uh, needed to raise uh, about a quarter of our budget, or $117,000, during the months of November and December. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I've mentioned this pretty much throughout the month of December, so I think it's only appropriate that I give you a quick report. We met our goal. I'm really grateful for that. We still have checks coming in the mail, so it'll be a few days before I know what the final number is, but it looks like it'll top out around $140,000, which is significantly above our goal of $117,000. And that's why I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you. I can't tell you how grateful I am for years ago. Just weeks after I took over at Ministry Watch in October of 2019, we set a year-end goal of just $15,000 and weren't sure we were going to make that. So to see how we've grown over the past four years has been really humbling and gratifying. I'm grateful to God and to you if you listen, read, and financially support our work. Thank you. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sutton. Writers who contributed to today's program include Kim Roberts, Bob Smitania, Jessica Adoralde, Daniel Ritchie, Steve Raby, Catherine Post, Rod Pitzer, and you, Warren. I'm Natasha Cowden in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith wishing you a happy new year from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.